It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, today I'm being joined by Carolyn Woodruff. Uh, Carolyn Woodruff is a preeminent North Carolina family lawyer, philanthropist, private airplane pilot, and dance legend. And basically, she's an all-around Renaissance woman. I'm excited to have her on the show. Carolyn, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bert. I'm glad to be here. All right. So, I, I, you know, you're, you're not like the ordinary run-of-the-mill lawyer uh, that we have on the show. So I'm excited to talk to you about this. First, I want I to get into um, how you became a dance legend. Talk about your, you know, the dancing lawyer uh, background. Well, I got into dance when I walked into my home one day with my physician husband and had found out he'd moved out without telling me. So I was in the middle of a divorce. So I was handling divorce cases every day and finding myself in my own client's uh, world. And it was very traumatic. A friend of mine said, Carolyn, you've got to get out of the doldrums. Go on with your life. What's over is over. And that friend said, why don't you find out five things that you've never done before and always wanted to do and start trying them. Find a new life. Not leaving practicing law, but adding another avocation to it. So I thought about it for a while and I made my bucket list and I put five things on there. Dancing, flying airplanes, scuba diving, motorcycles, and billiards. So when I started down that path, I took a few smoky billiards lessons and found out that that really was not my thing. I uh, found out I loved flying airplanes. I took air, uh, airplane lessons and have now passed eight FAA exams all the first time. And I'm a multi-engine instrument rated pilot. I fly a Baron. I also have Dusty Archer 180, Cherokee 180. And I love doing that. I skipped the scuba diving when I learned about in the pilot schools about nitrogen and the dangers of scuba diving. But dancing also really stuck. And I started taking dance lessons uh, probably 10, 15 hours a week and uh, found out that my uh, background from the South in Alabama with dancing was a sin and something, you know, you always want to do when it's not the thing that you're, when it's the thing you're not supposed to do. So dancing stuck and I started competing as a bronze dancer, silver dancer, gold dancer. And then I found um, my, my coach, Talia Tarsanoff, found some shows for Alosha Anatoly and I to be in, um, in New York City and also in Moscow, Russia, where they uh, showcased world and US champions. Alosha Anatoly, who was originally from the Ukraine, and I've been now dancing together since 2006, and we've been in eight world shows. Um, we were also the United States uh, show dance champions. So basically, it was how I refound myself after my own divorce. 
You know what? That's incredible. And I think right there is a great takeaway. If you're experiencing some kind of uh, loss or uh, divorce or maybe it's a business loss, whatever kind of loss or maybe a life changing event, uh, you write down five things that you've always wanted to do but haven't done uh, your short bucket list and, and go after it. What a what a, kind of a, a blessing in disguise. And not that anybody likes to get divorced, but I think that uh, your friend's advice paid off. I would totally agree with that, Bert. Totally agree. It just opened up so many new avenues not to be stuck in a mold of lawyer. Yeah, yeah. And and, and I think that, you know, the, the great thing about, uh, you know, going out there and, and is that you get to uh, get out of your own headspace. You get to new meet. You get to meet new people, and it just it helps things go as smoothly as things can go. And how many lawyers can say that they've done three dance shows at the Kremlin Palace in Moscow, Russia? I, I don't think any. I think you'd probably be the only one. <laughs> no, it's, it's an experience to go in to that situation. Yeah, I, you know. At least here in the U.S., maybe in Russia, they have uh, lawyers that uh, that have danced the Kremlin. But here in the U.S., you're probably the only one who can say you've been there three times. So that that's unique. That's different. <laughs> All right. So let me ask you this. Um, here you are. You you, you kind of sit at the pinnacle, at the at the vanguard, if you will, of domestic law reforms in North Carolina, uh, specifically in the city of Greensboro. Uh, how does this align with your convictions, uh, especially now that you've gone through divorce yourself? So talk about this. Well, I think that the, uh, the pivotal point with divorce and religion is compassion. So when I think about conviction, I think about your religion. And I think that the universal language for the pivot point of those has to be compassion. And when I think about compassion, I think about all of the situations that people find themselves in, in family law. I think about the children right now today who were going to school and we've got COVID going on that were being, you know, they got school lunches. Um, they had oversight from a teacher. There's a lot of abuse going on, I believe out there in homes that we need to have a lot of compassion for. Um, I'm working with Family Services of the Piedmont in Greensboro as a board member, and we kind of like are calling uh, COVID-19 for family law the abuser's dream because the abuser has the family member and maybe the children, the spouse and the children in the home and has them essentially captive with all of the uh, social distancing and the stay home orders and that kind of thing. So um, with regard to that, it's, it's a lot of opportunity out there for growth and how to deal with that particular kind of social problem. Of course, in my career since 1983 as a family lawyer, um, we have had the Equitable Distribution Act which was enacted the year I graduated from law school at Duke. And that gave a lot of opportunities. It's interesting that the uh, equitable distribution of property division laws in the state of North Carolina 
were traded for the not voting for the Equal Rights Amendment for women, which I always find a curiosity. In my wait, 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 wait. So, so it, 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 our politicians got together and said, hey, instead of giving them equal voting rights, we're going to do the, what was it, the equality? The Equitable Distribution Act was traded for the constitutional, the vote for the constitutional amendment the Equal Rights Constitutional Amendment for women. It's more than wow. voting because women had gotten the voting rights back in the late um, 19, 1920. That's right, that's right. But we didn't have rights to property in divorce. So if the man put all of the property in his name, the woman got nothing at the time of divorce. Incredible. And the off was vote no on the Equal Rights Amendment to the United States Constitution, but we'll give you some property. Wow. You know, it's amazing to me when you look at, you know, the, the U.S., uh, you know, sometimes we forget our history. We forget that we have progressed or evolved uh, really just like any other nation. I mean, you know, again, uh, there was a time, as you just mentioned, where women didn't have the right to vote, uh, the, the suffrage movement. And then and now um, it boggles my mind that it took uh, the event you're talking about, uh, you know, so, so women could uh, have property in a divorce. It's just, you know, I guess that's what happens when you have uh, a, uh, what do you call it, a male-dominated power base, right? They're just thinking like guys. And uh, they're not thinking about uh, their spouses. Women usually got the children in divorces in those days. And they got a pittance of child support until the uh, child support laws were enacted in North Carolina beginning in 1989, which essentially the federal government said that if states wanted highway and transportation money from the federal government, they had to enact child support guidelines. So we got that. And also men started getting more and more custodial rights of children. Um, so now, you know, a lot of men uh, have 50-50 custody. And that's probably where most of the courts are starting if, if both parents want to show up for equal custodians. That wasn't true when we were dealing in the 80s with um, no child support guidelines, and women were just for the first time getting equal property rights in divorce. Yeah, that's incredible. You know what, and I imagine you've seen a lot of change when it comes to family law, because as you mentioned, uh, the, you know, uh, back in the day, uh, you know, uh, it was, uh, as you, again, the, the, the woman would typically have the custody of the children, but no property. Now, we, you know, we have both men and women getting uh, some kind of maternity leave. Um, men have a more active role. Uh, I've seen uh, men have a more active role with their children. Uh, it's very common now not only to, to share custody, but I, I have a few friends who are male, and they have full custody or sole custody of their children uh, because the wife wanted to... Uh, you know, just focus on her career. Uh, so things have changed dramatically. 
a lot of men, and I represent a lot of men, I, I, I love representing fathers who want to uh, be outstanding parents. And uh, we are able to achieve custody for a lot of fathers, primary custody. And a lot of times it does have to do with women in uh, wanting a career, an executive, a, a CEO, or some kind of highly paid executive in, for example, the pharma industry or other highly trades. But you also find uh, addiction issues out there that give primary custody one way or the other. Addiction is a growing problem in family law. Yeah, uh, and that makes sense because addiction is a growing, uh, growing problem here. Uh, just in you know, just socially speaking, it's just a general problem. Uh, let me ask you this: Given the realities of the capitalistic society that we live in, what are the common marriage challenges that you have observed uh, around education, uh, gender? We talked a little bit about gender equality, but talk a little bit more about this. To me, education is the key to gender equality. It's very hard to keep a person who is well-educated from both having the self-esteem to consider themselves equal and from actually functioning as an equal person in a relationship. So where you get imbalance is when you have couples that have divert, uh, a wide range between the educational experiences that they've had. Um, and that creates an imbalance that's a friction and that imbalance can lead to domestic violence, it leads to divorce, it leads to just disharmony in the home. So to me, the pathway to gender equality, if you please, is education. Yeah, go ahead. I, uh, yeah, I like that a lot. I, I think, you know, uh, education has proven as a, as a great strategy to help people overcome poverty. Uh, education, I like the way you're using it for, for equality. It, it is, you know, when you open up somebody and uh, somebody's mind and they're aware of some of the options available to them, they're able to make better choices. And I think education does that for a lot of people. Yes, and I believe that there are a lot of uh, nonprofits worldwide that are seeking education as a means for creating um, gender equality. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, kind of going back to uh, uh, some of the stuff that you had talked about earlier about uh, the perfect storm uh, for some of this, um, I guess, isolation and abuse. I also want to talk a little bit about uh, what you've seen again uh, with all with the, the COVID lockdown. Um, you know, it's forcing married couples, uh, you know, who might have been contemplating divorce to either, I don't know, uh, make amends or actually split. Uh, you know, have you seen, um, based on your experience, have you seen a spike? in divorce cases being filed, or is it dropped? What's going on as far as uh, the statistics? I can tell you just from my own family law practice that there have been tremendous 
changes. In the first full month of COVID, I think divorce cases were down. In the second month of COVID, they were down, but not quite down as much as they were in the first month. In the third month, I think we had six times the new cases that we had in June of 2019. So times the number of people. So for a practice my size, we do a family law group that has eight, eight attorneys, five family law specialists, a staff of 18. We would normally in a month have about 16 cases, new cases come through the door, about two for each of the attorneys. And of course, if you already have a full caseload, two new cases can be all that you really want. Sure. 122 new cases in June. Wow. It is replicating that in July. That's incredible. So it is an incredible spike. Um, and that can be combined with now our courthouse in Greensboro, North Carolina, has been closed now for the fourth time, closed today for next week, because the courthouse has now been declared a cluster for COVID-19. So they're not holding any non-essential civil court which they're still doing domestic violence court and first appearances, but the regular child custody case, the regular property division case, the regular temporary support hearings and those kinds of things, they are not going on right now. Um, we are now, the other change that's happened, though some courts are being held with either Zoom or WebEx, and that actually has caught on quite well but with the whole courthouse and the courtrooms closed, we were doing the WebEx hearings with the judge still on the bench with her his or her computer. And it's just that the witnesses and the attorneys were remote. But without the judge being able to do that from the bench, from the courthouse, uh, we're going to have to have a new invention of how that's done if this keeps going on and we can't figure out how to solve the COVID problem. But the COVID problem is causing marriages to break up. The imbalances were already there. I think that the um, domestic violence is already there, and COVID's caused financial strain on all the people, 50 something million are unemployed right now in the United States, last I heard. So those are financial strains. Financial strain causes divorce. And it's just really um, a sad situation for the American people. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. You know, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, there in where you practice, is uh, mediation part of the process now, uh, the mandatory process uh, uh, when you're going through the divorce? Mediation is mandated in all of North Carolina in two respects. All child custody cases have to be mediated with the court courts mediator uh, before you can ever be given a trial date. And probably 90% of the cases in the area of child custody are able to be mediated out. Now in the area of financial mediation, that also is mandated, but it's a different system. You are required to hire certified uh, mediators who also are lawyers and you have to go through family financial mediation. And again, I think that the rate of closure with mediation is probably 90%. Uh, 
So that leaves the 10% of the worst cases in the courtroom still. Yeah, yeah. And so I was going to ask you, but you kind of already answered that question. It's, uh, you know, as a divorce lawyer, do you like the mediation process? But it seems like you do. Oh, I love the mediation process. And North Carolina has passed a new collaborative divorce law that was effective July 1, which I think uh, that's where the parties, both sides, commit up front to try to keep the court system out of the situation. And gotcha. another process. So what I think you're going to see, unless we can solve COVID faster than it seems like we're going to, is that there's going to be more emphasis on mediation. There's going to be more emphasis also on private arbitration. North Carolina has the Family Law Arbitration Act. So you can actually have a binding decision at, in a arbitration rent-a-judge kind of format. And basically, the parties can design that for themselves. So basically, you're going to design your own divorce case mentality yeah. where you can use mediation, you can use arbitration, you can use collaborative law. And your last resort right now is the courtroom, which is the worst place ever for children, for child custody cases. Probably the worst place to resolve a financial dispute in a complex divorce. So, you know, we're learning to use uh, both technology and both alternate dispute resolution. And I think it's bigger than ever. And, and I think both using the technology and the, um, the alternate dispute resolution improve the family law situation. I will say this, we're effectively doing the mediations with Zoom. I've been on Zoom mediations for 10 hours. Rooms for mediation. I've done, uh, of course, depositions with with Zoom, but we're getting more and more able to use those kind of technologies as an assist, and it's a lot more efficient. Um, so well, you have to here, but you don't have any travel time. You, right. you don't really have the travel time, and you have to be prepared because your exhibits and all that have to really be lined up ahead of time but it's been actually very fun to uh rely on the technology pretty heavily here sure sure uh well you know one of the things that strikes me about mediation is that a lot of people want to vent their frustration you know they want to have quote their day in court and, and so i think mediation allows them to have that feeling to be able to vent and sometimes mediation back to you know you stated earlier uh you know, that compassion is really what helps uh, a divorce maybe get resolved on the best uh, best uh, level. I think that mediation is, to me, a very compassionate way of resolving issues as opposed to, like you said, getting in front of a judge that might be more by the book, less uh, compassionate because he's going to, he or she is going to go by the letter of the law maybe. Uh, but now in mediation, it's less formal, and so I think you're able to uh, spend a little bit more time working through these feelings that the court could care less about. Yeah, most, yes, most of the mediations in family law start with the mediator spending 45 minutes or, or an hour with each party, uh, each side, 
And that's the time for the party to vent their frustrations. And you're right. A lot of times you can resolve divorce problems if you give somebody 45 minutes of somebody else's time who's more in a position such as a mediator to vent their gripes. And then it's out. We can go on now and we can look at the money or the, the children in the best interest. But that's that venting process and they need a third party. They've been yeah. venting to their lawyer, they've been venting to their therapist, but they need that person that, that's in the mediator or the arbitrator role to vent to. And that yeah. does have a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah. And, and let me tell you, uh, I think that this is one of the smartest things that the court's ever done is mandate mediation. I think they do that for just about all cases uh, from, you know, small claims court all the way to complex litigation. Uh, I think that, at least in my uh, experience, it, uh, my opinion is that most uh, lawsuits can be resolved if the parties would be willing to just humble themselves and talk, just kind of go through the process. But of course, you know, you have let's say a plaintiff that feels as though they've been betrayed. They feel as though, you know, they deserve this or that and they have their blinders on and they only want to see, you know, blood. That's all they want. <laughs> and and uh, that's sometimes very difficult to resolve. And, and of course, this is where a good lawyer and a good mediator can come in and help that person uh, diffuse those emotions and, and let them see that, uh, you know, make them feel heard and then also let them see that this is probably not the best court isn't the best way to go let's get resolve this today and, and you know like you said in a 10-hour or five-hour mediation i think mediation has become a fantastic tool i love mediation and i think that it is i, th I too think that it's probably the best thing that has happened to family law the mediation process. It's saving a lot of court time. And I think it's giving a client the chance to realize his or her own objectives rather than having those dictated by a person in a black room. So yeah. you can design a, a plan better when you're in a friendly setting of a mediation. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I love it. All right, so let me ask you this, kind of put you on the spot here. As a woman in a male-dominated world, what can you candidly tell the inspiring women, uh, women business owners about success and risk? This might be a debatable answer, but my thought is forget you're a woman. You're a person first. And I think if all of America would look at that as, look at them, each person as a person, then we don't worry about sex, sex equality, race, race equality. Every person should look at their, themselves as a person first. Now, that being said, I would also tell people to get as much education as you reasonably can and think and analyze. Assess risk, pros, cons, then make a decision after you've done all of the thinking about it and live with it and make it work. I also would say be ready to pivot. 
in your analysis, things change. Business changes. We certainly have seen something that's been a landmark change with what's going on in society now. So your success is going to depend on your ability to pivot yourself, your business into the right position. It might be that you're going to have to do more digital marketing than you've ever done before because digital marketing is very, very important now. Right. And so much word of mouth, maybe that worked, maybe it still works, but you can't just rely on the way you did business 10 years ago right now going into the future. You've got to reassess pros and cons right now and pivot into something that works in this world we're in today. Now, if we get vaccines and we are in a different situation next summer, maybe you can pivot back. But again, you need to list the pros and cons. Look at your customer, look at your client, who do you serve, and figure out how do you serve them better? Because putting that person first and making them better is always a way for business success. Yeah, you know what, and that's a great answer. Uh, one of the things that I teach in my marketing class that it's not about you, it's about the person you're trying to serve. It's getting in their head. What's keeping them up at night? What's the most important thing to them? And I love your idea of pivoting. Uh, you know, a lot of the biggest companies that are around us today are around because they pivoted. And a lot of these big companies that are no longer around, Blockbuster, I'll use them as an example, they failed to pivot and they disappeared. So I, 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 your answer I thought was fantastic. I love that. Let me ask you this. Uh, many organizations like the media shape society's perceptions about awareness, self-awareness, if you will. What does self-awareness mean to you? Self-awareness is about knowing yourself, knowing what I believe and who I am, and then taking in the information that is around me and assessing it, much like my formula on business success. So it's very difficult here to talk about the media when I'm actually on, in the media right now, Bert, so you need to know that. But I think that you have to be very careful with most media because I think investigating and reporting has slidden into the background and commentating and opinions and all of that are the forefront. I really wish we would have more investigative and reliable reporting in the media. I don't particularly trust the media, but what I do, I try to limit myself to a certain amount of time every day listening to the media, and I try to listen to uh, a, a broad section of the television media, and then I use it to figure out what the topic of the day is to think about, not to accept the opinions of any of them, because the media, I mean, there's a lot of lies out there in the media, let's just face it. And the, the other thing I do to try to get a balanced approach on it, on the weekends, I read the China Daily, I read the Guardian, I read the Times of London, so when you try to get a broader perspective, and you can see what others are saying about the same topic. I think that you can figure out yourself what may or may not be going on, and um, that still may not be what's going on. So um, 
that's the way I approach assessing the media. And I don't let it control who I am. You know, one of the things, uh, rightly or wrongly, that uh, uh, the uh, Trump administration has coined is fake news. And I was talking to a, a group yesterday about fake news, and I have uh, come to the conclusion that the biggest fake news that we all have to deal with is up here. Uh, you know, we, we take events and we filter them through our heads and we decide what it means to us, and that's great. But also, you know, you look at uh, some of the things out there uh, that people achieve or don't achieve, and that's based on how they, you know, feel about themselves. You know, you, you had mentioned earlier about somebody's self-esteem and their, you know, and, and increasing that education. And, and so we, as humans, we are constantly talking to ourselves. We're filtering information. We'll, we're filtering what events mean. And uh, I think that we have to guard ourselves against our own fake media or our own, uh, you know, biases because that is, I think, the biggest thing that at least trips me up on a regular basis. I just assume something, even though we're not supposed to assume, or I think that I know what the answer is, why maybe a person acted the way they did, come to find out I was completely wrong. And, and so we have to uh, almost, uh, what do you call it, reorient our self-talk, our thinking, and back to what you were talking about. You take this information in, and it may not mean what you think it means. It may not be exactly uh, all of the truth. Uh, and so that's just the reality that we live in. So I, I, I like the fact that you're saying, hey, take this information in, maybe with a grain of salt, do some of your own research if you really want to find out. Because there's, you know, just about everything is researchable nowadays. And, you know, sometimes the media, you know, they're, they're trying to get eyeballs. They're not necessarily trying to deliver the the uh, the truth. They're trying to get eyeballs because that's how they get advertisers and that's how they keep on the on the air. So sometimes you know we're all misled or we're captivated by a um, sensational headline, only to find out that the headline and the content were completely uh, disconnected. It was just trying to get our eyeballs there. So I like your take on the awareness there. So what I would say is that really the television news commentators that you get in the e late early evening and, and between you know, five and seven o'clock, it's really one big reality TV show for sensationalism. It's not news. <laughs> it is, it is. You know, uh, a lot of people aren't aware of this, but I guess it's been about 20 years. You know, uh, the news department were, um, they used to be kind of separate from the uh, network that they were involved with and they had their own independence uh the walter cronkites if you will of our time and then of course as these uh media um conglomerates came in they just said hey the news is no longer independent this is all about entertainment your take on this being reality tv is is dead on uh you know and and I think one of the things that you can see about the media that I find very distasteful is they will, for lack of better terms, hyper-focus on, let's say, a story, and they get it out there. And then if they're wrong, it's just a little blurb on 
their website. Sometimes if, if they're taken to court, they will say, hey, we made a mistake. We sincerely apologize. And then they move on. They don't take the same uh, enthusiastic focus to say, hey, guys, we were wrong. Let's correct this. We said it was X, Y, Z. It turned out to be one, two, three. Uh, you know, and there's more information on our website. Please go there. You know, because it is reality TV. I mean, it's just, you know, it's not always accurate. You know what I think it's best for? I think it's best for what women should wear on television. It's really more of a fashion show. <laughs> what look good? What looks good on TV will look good in the boardroom, the courtroom, the dining room, or, or whatever. So I think I think that's a good point. You know, and what's so funny too is again with this COVID stuff, uh, a lot of these people are working from their homes. Uh, more than one individual uh, anchor has been caught with, you know, let's say uh, wearing a nice, uh, let's say, suit on top and shorts on the bottom, kind of a, you know, uh, you know. And I thought that was just to me was a great way of um, a, a great analogy or metaphor for the news. It looks good on top, but you're not really sure what's, what's on the bottom of all that. That's happened in some remote courtrooms, too. And the, the order says you have to be fully dressed to be in a WebEx or Zoom courtroom in North Carolina. So some people have been caught. I think even one person was caught going to the bathroom, and it was heard on saying in a proceeding. <laughs> oh, great, great. Uh, the, the, what do you call it? The the realities of today's technology. Yes, you have to take the mic off if you're going to the potty. Um, you know, that's happened uh, not only on Zoom meetings, WebEx, but uh, even in the, what do you call it, in the newsrooms. Uh, we've had situations like that. Uh, Carolyn, I want to pop up your website right here real quick in case somebody wants to reach out. If they have more questions, they can reach out at woodrufflawfirm.com. Uh, uh, I've been to your website multiple times. There's literally uh, tons of resources there for somebody in uh, North Carolina, Greensboro, that may want to get some more information that is contemplating a divorce that can go there and get some uh, help. And uh, I've had so much fun getting to know you on the show today. Bert, it's been just an absolute pleasure to work with you. I've loved doing the show and working with you on this. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you so much. We'll talk to you later. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye.